Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversation with creators from Africa and its diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Nsiabwadi. On this edition of The Cypher, I speak to Aniwa Boachi. She is a gifted contemporary dancer who trained at Britain's Royal Academy of Dance before finding her passion. These days, this actor, filmmaker and advocate doesn't fit into one box. She creates space for multi-layered female characters and finds opportunities for self-expression for everyone in her creative ecosystem. We're going to find out how today, so keep listening. Aniwa Boachi is an award-winning actress, filmmaker, and writer. In short, she is a creative triple threat. She's also passionate about portraying multi-layered black female characters. Her advocacy has put her at the heart of community outreach projects that develop self-expression through performance for children in Los Angeles, Kenya, and across West Africa. Now, Aniwa started in the business as a dancer. She went to Britain's Royal Academy of Dance, but her pivot into acting began when she was offered a place at the prestigious method acting school East 15. After graduating from there, she quickly established herself in the acting industry, landing roles on shows like UK's Holby City, which I used to watch back in the day, the star show Survivor's Remorse and the British film Orcs. And her creative journey continues. It now includes production on a film called Moon Over Aburi, which I hope that we will get into in this conversation. We're going to find out when and why she decided to dive into her passion and her advocacy and where it has taken her literally and figuratively. Lots of inspiration for all of us in this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So I said, Aniwa, I want you to put the bass in it for people to hear. Do you know what? What it's, girl? Because you know, you know, you know, like as a Ghanaian, when I say my name, people are like, "Oh, you anglicize it." Da, 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 all Always, kind of stuff. come on. But you know, I'm born and raised in South London. This is my the accent. This is my voice. You mm-hmm. know, so um, there's two ways of saying it. If you want to kind of anglicize it, it's Aniwa. If you want to do Ghanaian, it's Aniwa. Watch it. Aniwa. Watch Watch it. There you go. Exactly. Listen, my name is Insia Bwadi. I understand. Mm-hmm. You got to say it with bass. You got to say it with bass. bass. Your soul, with your full chest, you know? Exactly. From, from the bottom of the soles of your feet. <laughs> Aniwa, thank you so much for joining us on The Cypher. I'm really excited to speak to you because, as we've mentioned already, that you're a, a triple threat. But what I'm really interested about as far as your work is concerned in acting and in advocacy and in creativity is this idea of liberty. I'm thinking of Golden Delilah. Yeah. So Golden Delilah was um, a theatre company that I started when I came out of drama school Mm. from, um, uh, it was running from like uh, 2009 to 2015. And the whole reason why I started Golden Delilah was because at the time when I was introduced into the industry professionally, there wasn't enough roles for uh, women of colour, black women and women of colour. And I'm not someone who just sits back and just complains about certain things. That's not how I run. I'm all very, very much solution focused. And I'm very much about um, creating a new table and making as many seats for as many people to sit at it. Um, I'm the kind of person where I believe in creating an army as opposed to doing something that's self-fulfilling. 
Mm. And so with Golden Delilah, I was like looking at the problem and I realized the problem lies with um, the work that was being produced at the time was primarily um, from white males or from people that had very, very limited um, perceptions or, you know, experience with really, you know, um, understanding or being around people that weren't white. So it was like, um, kind of like a, uh, almost like I kind of thought to myself, okay, so this is what I'm going to do is look at writers, look at directors and look at actors. So focusing on, um, giving writers themes to, um, explore their work and also connecting them with directors that aren't of the same kind of ethnic background. So they have an understanding and have a conversation of how they could develop their work in turn to platform women of color. Um, so this is something that I did for five years, it's five years mm. um, by myself. And, you know, there was a number of people that worked on the project as actors, as, as directors, as writers. And I, I wanted to create accessible theater. It was a theater company uh, to start off with and so and back in the day back then like the connotation of going to theater was very much you know your kind of stiff mm -hmm. upper lip British person that you know was of a certain class and of a certain um race and so for with Golden Delilah I decided to place the projects in places where um there was diverse people accessing them so I would do it in a bar in um in a library those kind of um, environments to encourage more people to understand that you don't have to be a certain way to access theatre it's, it's about the story if the story speaks to you then you should it's my job to ensure that you can access it anywhere. Mm. What was the impact of Golden Delilah then because what I hear from you is you built you, effectively you were building a bridge right you were connecting mm -hmm. people to work together to have a conversation and a dialogue mm -hmm. what was the impact um, to audiences and on the on you know on the theatre industry, as far as you're concerned, um, I think the impact was that it was expressing to people that your opinion, your experience um, matters. Mm. <laughs> there's there's no there's no um, boundaries because I felt like within the UK industry there was a lot of restrictions, and as a um, performer who is a black woman, I felt like there was no space for me to fit in. Mm. And I think Golden Delilah made it very clear to people, there's space for you. <laughs> there's always going to be space for you. You know, one story is not the story. Mm. Um, and we as um, creators have to take control of the story that we wish to tell, particularly if you're a creative that is of the black, if you're black or a person of color. Mm -hmm. It's very important that you play a hand in how you're portrayed. Um, because for so long, I think a lot of the times it was just, you know, you would have like a white man sitting there kind of like perceiving what black people do with their time, but mm -hmm. not having any friends mm -hmm. or any interactions with black people. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like with Gold Free Golden Delilah, I wanted to expose that for those people that aren't, um, of you know black or people of color but I also wanted to give black and people of color the platform to to take ownership 
but that's what you're talking about is super important right because you did this right out of university is that out drama school yeah 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 I worked for a theatre company um I'm not going to mention any names but I worked for a theatre company for a year uh for free and not necessarily as an actor I've always been someone obviously I'm an actor but I've always been someone that I'm like how can I get other people Mm. onto (laughs) onto the pay grade you know what I mean like how can I how can I um, it's that army you talked other... about earlier, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. How can I lift other people up? Because we don't walk in this world just solely by ourselves. We come in it, into it by ourselves, but we have many experiences with different people. And I'm all about the experience and the adventure. And you know, um, I'm 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 very much I look think long term as opposed to short term. I will always think put the long term goal ahead of my own personal goal. So that's the way my mind was working. So during the time when I was working for this theatre company, I realised that a lot of the people that were getting in were just (laughs) clones of themselves. Mm. Um, There was no kind of uh, diversity. There was no kind of like, you know, or if it was diverse, it was kind of someone's perception of of what a black person is or what an Asian person is. Um, and I said to myself, uh, I can't, I can't believe that I'm working with this company with young men and it's just the same thing happening over and over again. Mm. And instead of complaining and trying to persuade this person to see my point of view, I was like, no, do you know what? I'm just going to start my own thing mm. and I'm going to put it out there and people will have an interest because I'm doing something against the status quo. Now, this is really important here, I think, right? Because you started it by yourself and people are going, were you walking with money? Like, how did you found it? You know, which I think is a really important question and answer for people to hear because you said, I'm going to do it. So how did you do it? Do you know what? I think I was just very young at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still young. No, no, I'm 21. Let's just say that. Okay, I'm 21. But um, I think I was just super young at the time that money, money wasn't a factor. So for me, it was pretty much, um, I put my own money into it. But I also had to find ways to kind of um, collaborate with venue space, collaborate with uh, directors that will and and actors that will provide them with an opportunity um, to further their progress, to further their career. Shamedly, I wish I had money. I wish I had 10, 10 grand or 20 grand at the time so I could pay every single person. But I was very much at the start of my professional career and there was only so much money that I could afford to give people. And I put a lot of that money into the venue and also into marketing. Um, There's power in teamwork. Oh, my gosh. It's a domino effect, you know? Yeah, exactly. One helps the next, helps the next, helps the next, helps the next, right? Exactly. Let's focus a little bit on your filmmaking, right? You focus on the stories of black women and women in general, right? Uh, We Mm -hmm. talked about Golden Delilah, the company that you started, and you have Same But Different and Vivid Blindness, right? Mm -hmm. And you've described your filmmaking um, as the trials and tribulations and the celebrations of the invisible and marginalized groups of society. Why is that so important to you? As a dark-skinned Black woman, I think a lot of the times there's just one kind of uh, image or messaging that's out there that we're strong and that, like, we're, you know, independent and, you know, we don't take any rubbish, all this kind of stuff. And it's one-dimensional. 
I'm a woman, I'm a human being, I'm not a robot. There's so many different kind of emotions and, and things that I feel that I don't see expressed out there. Um, I, I want to be, well, there's many times in my life where people can see me as the strong person, but anyone that knows me knows that I'm very emotional and very soft person. And I want to enable black women to have the space to to be that publicly and not feel bad for not always being this strong woman and not always like you know having everything put together because mm. everybody else doesn't know everybody else can have the space to just be talking about is emotional liberty which as black women darker skinned black women we do not have back to your earlier point right we're we're supposed to be strong and have the world on our shoulders and we're not forgiven when we crack or we're not forgiven and we don't we don't forgive ourselves if we crack because then we're just like oh I shouldn't have done that and then we're misunderstood and understood and there's this weird cycle of that right and you've worked with people um you've worked with groups and with people with children in the US in Africa Mm -hmm. and elsewhere Tell us a little bit about that work and how that work connects to your ethos of, I'm going to tell you, it's liberty. <laughs> and and also just caring for other people. When I came to the States, I was like, okay. Um, I very much wanted to connect with young Black girls because mm. I felt like when I was growing up, there wasn't, I didn't really have like a a black role model in the sense, in terms of creativity, Mm -hmm. there wasn't anyone, there wasn't a mentor, anyone that was close to me that can have that conversation. I was just a child of immigrants aspiring to be a performer. I've always wanted, I've always knew, known that I was going to be a performer, but my parents weren't and their circles weren't. And I didn't know how to, (laughs) I didn't know how to navigate that. So you know, I would do things like open the yellow pages. I'm showing my age here. I really Oh my gosh. That, Can but... I tell you, <laughs> put a pin in that because I did that too. I opened the yellow pages and I was like, dad, we might be of a similar age, probably are. And I was like, I want to go to this dance school. Yeah. And, I, and watch, yep. I'll watch the TV and I'll be like, I want yep. to be like them. But you did yep. it and I didn't. <laughs> yep. And I would, well. connect, I can, I remember being 14 and connecting with the modeling agency and going in by myself, you know, because that's not really conversations I could have with my parents to say Mm. hey can you come with me to this modeling agency so when I got to the states I was like you know what I kind of I want to be in an environment where I can encourage young black girls that want to go into the creative industry and even if they don't want to go into the creative industry I I can encourage them to stand in their power Mm. and to take ownership of communication and be able to articulate themselves in a way where people will take note um and so I connected with uh, Los Angeles Drama Club, which is now uh, Shakespeare Youth Theatre um, in L.A. And they work with young people in um, South L.A., near close to South Central L.A. And um, I worked with these lovely, wonderful ladies um, that own it, Blair and Julia. And I made it very clear that I wanted to connect with um, young 
black girls, but in, but young people in particular, but young black girls, because um, I just felt that I didn't want there to be a black girl out there that's just sitting at home thinking that she's incapable of doing something because she doesn't have access, she doesn't have knowledge. So I wanted to impart that knowledge. Ooh, hold on. You wanted to share the knowledge because A, knowledge is is not supposed to be hoarded, it's supposed to be shared. And exactly. you were giving these girls something that you didn't have. Now, I was intentionally not trying to fall into the conversation about, well, how did your Ghanaian immigrant parents not support you? Because <laughs> I think we have that all the time. Am I correct in saying that, first of all? Was was that a, a correct yeah, assumption yeah, of what I, that was about? I would definitely say that. I mean, like, I I feel like... I mean, obviously my parents supported me in yeah. terms of like, you know, making sure I was fed, making sure I was clothed, making sure my face was shiny with Vaseline, all of that kind of stuff. Cocoa butter. <laughs> Cocoa butter, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and making sure that I knew who I was. Yes. Was like taking ownership of that, like being proud of who I am. That, they definitely supported me on that. The environment I was growing up in, though, conflicted that, you yes. know, it, it made me feel like I didn't belong because my household was Ghanaian. Outside was British. So you have two different, you know, cultures, mm-hmm. uh, opposing cultures that are just constantly, you know. Fighting in you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that sense, they were very supportive. And I think... um like that creativity is intrinsic to being being African anyway, to be honest. I think everyone who's African is creative. People that are like, you know, titled as, um, you know, actors, musicians, we know we're creative. But for those those people that go into like, I don't know, the doctor, the lawyer kind of stuff, they're still creative. <laughs> if you're African, you, they, you've still got that creativity in you. It may be might be dormant or it might you know not be as powerful as your um creative peers shall I say but I think with me oh it was it was it was tricky I had to find my own feet Mm. I had to create my own support system um I think I'm I'm lucky in the sense that two of my other siblings are creatives as well Mm. so there was there was like a um I I was in a household where I could kind of express myself um to my two siblings to a certain extent um but I still needed to find my way in terms of um feeling comfortable Mm. to say that I was born to be a performer I don't know anything else I don't know anything different um it's foreign to me to try and not be that you know and I knew that from such a young age from like the age of three four I knew that and growing up in a household where your parents are not thinking on that level they're thinking like boom let's get some money so we can feed our kids we need to send money back home send this person to boarding school x y and z so you know as you get older as you become aware of yourself and the career direction that you want to to go in for me I started to perhaps keep things to myself so I didn't really um give my parents a platform to support me so that's that's my error that's my fault because I just made the assumption that they wouldn't understand now being older 
um, my mum heavily supports me <laughs> in what I do, you know, because <laughs> mm. she knows she knows I'm good at what I do. And mm. also she's very proud of the fact that I, most for the most part, a lot of the things I do, I always link it back to my African heritage. Ooh, I was you said something super powerful there um, where you said that your parents really made sure that you knew who you were. And um, what you're saying really resonates with me because I think I, too, as people can hear, because we have similar accents, grew up in the mm -hmm. UK. Right. It was a very lonely existence. I'm someone that has a lot of friends, but I've always felt to a certain extent lonely. I've always felt like an in-betweener that mm. I've not really fitted in because growing, growing in the UK, growing up in the UK it is, was very exciting and fun, especially in South London. Like it was very exciting and fun. But as you mentioned at the start, I did go to the Royal Academy of Dance where my um, classmates were, you know, daughters of politicians and lords and all of this kind of stuff. And then I knew people that grew up on an estate and, you know, one of that certain class. So I was always code switching, not necessarily just in terms of race, but in terms of class, mm -hmm. in terms of culture, constantly code switching. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a rude girl. I wasn't the nerdy girl. I wasn't like, you know, I'm a creative. So I was into lots of different types of creativity. Um, you know, one day I'll be listening to Nirvana. Next day I'll be listening to Biggie. I didn't fit in any box whatsoever. You were unique. So, yeah, so I've always, well, thank you. But I've always <laughs> felt like, I've always felt lonely because of that. Because mm. I just, I, I'm not this one thing. Do you um, still feel I, lonely? Um, I want to say lonely. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I just, I, I'm just me. I feel oh. like it's okay for me not to fit into one box. It's okay for me to, you know, want to go with my friend to see the opera. It's okay for me to be like, okay, let me just get down and listen to like, let me just dirty wine to some, you know, some bashment music. <laughs> you know, I can, I can be that person. Yeah. I can be that woman that would go to opera mm. and in the same night know how to like, do that I want to bashment I don't need to choose anymore whereas Ooh. when I was younger I felt like I had to choose which one which one is it if I chose you know even saying that I trained as a ballet dancer it's like at the time growing up I was so ashamed to say that I did ballet mm. you know because all the rude girls would be like what are you doing that for why are you doing the hip-hop and all this kind of thing do you mm. get me uh, yes 100 you know? and then when we see the video of you dancing we're like oh actually yeah all right cool you know, it's it's yeah. it's one of them kind of things which is like I'm I'm happy that I've had these experiences where I've co-switched in different mm. you know environments. Was the journey for you coming to terms with yourself from being the kid that co-switched? Did that have a lot to do with the travel that you have done? Let's talk about yeah. that then. Yeah, massively the travel I've done, the the many different international friends that I have. Um, tell us where you've been tell the people where you've been tell the people them one of the one of the most amazing trips I did in my life I went to Cuba mm. when well, I don't want to tell you my age but I went to Cuba <laughs> by myself by myself for about a month and that was really liberating for me mm. because in Cuba you have you know black people that are the most phenomenal ballet dancers 
you know and then they can dance salsa amazing so it was it, in those kind of environments like like Cuba how can I put it? there's no there's no such label in the sense where it's like you can't do this or you shouldn't be doing this because you're you're black you mm. just do it like, mm. whether you like it or not and that was really um liberating for me to be a part of when I was there being in Los Angeles um well LA everyone's trying to make themselves unique so if you're someone who if if you're a black person that happens to play hockey for example that's amazing great wonderful you know um because that's that's the plus like oh you're unique you're you're different you're strange um but I do think that being in Los Angeles as well the people that I met I it was an understanding of a different type of black experience you know as someone um, who's currently talking to you in Los Angeles, I understand what you mean. Yeah, do you yes. know what I mean? I'm trying to articulate it better, but it was just a different type of, of, of a Black experience. The Black experience I lived in the UK, you, there was integration with, with white people. No matter where you're going, there was integration with white people of different classes. Working class white people, middle class, upper class. When I was in Los Angeles... Um, working with the young black kids I was working with in uh, South LA a lot of them had you know they didn't interact with a lot of um, white people I remember we went into school me and my colleague Julian Julia's um, white blonde hair blue eyes um, kind of like Scandinavian heritage and I remember one of the kids was so amazed that her eyes were blue and I couldn't believe this was you know Los mm-hmm. Angeles like this happened I don't know like 2019 I couldn't believe it and it was wow. a clear indication that that young child in their environment they don't see they don't interact with white people they don't see white people mm. you know um so in that sense like the black experience in LA was really uh eye-opening uh to a certain extent because class is one thing if you're if you're someone with money in LA you're mixing around with a lot of people but for the most part you stick within your class and then you stick within your race Mm. um and so there's the the interactions I had was always very interesting because I've kind of felt out of that I was black but I wasn't American I had a British accent um my parents are African um I went to ballet school I was just such a enigma to some people Mm. time I spent in Los Angeles made me realize like what was I trying to do all these years trying to fit into x y and z what was the point of that Mm. what was the point of that Mm. like there's this your your there's it's a big world you're never gonna just be that one thing in whatever environment you go in you're always gonna be someone that's different when I go back to Ghana you know Mm. people don't see me to be 100% Ghanaian because I sound like this you know, and you walk and I like my, that, and you I know walk even like in your that. walk, right? And I dress a certain way, or like the way 
um, when, I don't know, when some man's talking to me like, hello, baby, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, you just come back like, why are you talking to me like that? You know, even even that kind of, even that kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say a response. It's not attitude, it's a response. It's, it's like, wow, you're, you're not really from here. Mm. When I'm in the UK and, you know, you can hear my voice you can hear that I grew up in London and someone's like oh right, how you doing so like where did you grow up from what's exactly why's your name like that what does your name mean do you know what I mean like again yes. I don't fit in you get me and then when I was in the states where people were like yo man like you you sound funny like you you British wow they're black people in the UK do you know what I mean like things like that so for me instead of being um getting annoyed like I used to where it's like I'm from the UK, you can hear by my voice. Or when I was in the States, I'm like, yeah, there are black people. Do you know history? Do you know about like, <laughs> you know, the history? And then being in Ghana and being like, okay, well, I'd, I, you want me to just shut my mouth and allow you to talk to me any which way? To the man that's trying to pick you up, right? <laughs> Instead of getting angry about these kind of things, I just say, okay, well, this is a great opportunity to stand in my uniqueness and make a decision as to whether I can be bothered to continue the conversation with you because I'm one of those people where I feel like too many times black women always have to be that person that's educating someone we're tired please (laughs) I don't need to educate you just find out but I also don't need to answer your question as well so I can just be like okay well nice meeting you uh I'll leave you to be shocked about my existence being here um when you figured it out when you feel comfortable with me being me come check me come come talk to me but until then good luck with your life you know and just keep it moving keep it there is power there is power in that we don't have much time left because we the conversation did what it always does which is it was rich in other ways but I think this really leads us to where we are now talking about your current projects so where are you now what are you doing I talked about moon over aburi feel free to talk about that but everything else where we at so Moon of Ivory is a film written by Emmy Award winning writer Kwame Dawes. It's a film that uh, is based on Kwame Dawes' um, story called Moon of Ivory, which looks at um, the an event that happens uh, in regards to gender-based violence and how um, what are the repercussions of that within a community and um, how elitism and uh, misogyny can play a part in um, kind of um, erasing a a woman's voice that has experienced gender-based violence. Um, The story is very important to me because I feel like, you know, there's many women that don't have the opportunity to speak up uh, in regards to experiences such as this. It kind of ties into what I said before, what you mentioned before, a lot of the things that I work on are looking at the trials, tribulations and celebrations of the invisible and marginalised groups of people. Um, and so Moon Over Brie is a beautiful film noir. It's shot in Ghana. You saw you saw the trailer, you saw the, the shots. Gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful gorgeous. film. Really gorgeous. Um, the colour grader, a pag. He's if anyone's going to Ghana, pack the one to <laughs> work with, like Graydon, if you're doing a film in Ghana. Um, so right now that film is currently in the festival circuit. Uh so it's doing the festival rounds for like be about a year, maybe a year and a bit. And there will be a screening in Ghana and in, in the UK at some point. Um, and I'm also working on a, a Disney Marvel project 
um, which is X-Men 97, with, with director um, Bo DeMeo. Um, so there's a couple of things that are going to be coming out in the pipeline. Um, so, yeah. So this, this unique slash different slash lonely kid who kind of found her own way and started off as a dancer and then was like, mm, no, I'm going to do acting because that's mm-hmm. my real passion. And then you were trying to bring the army up together, but you felt like you were doing it on your own. You're landing on your own. You've landed on your feet. Like it's a journey. But mm-hmm. do you feel like, yeah, this feels good. It doesn't feel like shifting sands. I, I do. I do. Right now, I do feel like it feels it feels I'm where I'm supposed to be right mm. now in my life. It feels good. I'm always about the adventure. I'm always someone that's going to vid- fidget. I, I'm always someone that can't stay in one place for too long. I will be looking for my next adventure. But right now, I just feel it, it feels good. It, feel, it feels really good. Oh, on that note, Anua, watch it. I want to thank you so much. This Ghanaian British actress, filmmaker and writer about to come back to L.A. I, I know and I hope, right? You come in through? Yeah, All yeah, right, yeah. I'll go. come through. I'll come through. I'm going to come through. Cool. And then you have to come and say hi to me. Thank you so much for giving us your time and talking to us. This is really, really um, fulfilling. I feel edified after this conversation. Oh, good. It's really good. nice. Really nice. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for having me. OK, thank you. Thank you so much to listening to my conversation with Aniwa Bwachi, a Ghanaian British actress, filmmaker and writer who is from the UK. And, you know, she swings through the, uh, the United States from time to time to work on projects on stars and other big, big titles. Check out The Cypher wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. You can follow Aniwa Bwachi on Instagram and Twitter at Aniwa, which is spelled A-N-N-I-W-A-A. B-U-A-C-H-I-E Go to The Cypher's website to get the link to that. Please like and subscribe to The Cypher podcast and tell your friends to do the same. And hey, we have a newsletter www.thecypherpod.com And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast and tell all of your friends to do the same. Maurice Poplar edited The Cypher. Our associate producer is Aviana Kimani. Our producer is Cerise Small. And I, Christabel Insiabwadi, executive produced and hosted the show. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will see you next time. The Cypher is a My Lens Media production. <laughs>